Because John is not high tech and he's not with the latest technology. I'm not, let me turn off all my stuff here. <laughs> if, you, if you access the net through the little square thingy, it will also give you an opportunity if you're worshiping with us for the first time to give us some information so we can get in touch with you uh, right there with your phone. You don't even need a pen uh, or a pen. Uh, uh, and, and so that, that's the idea. Uh, just give us a name, a, a contact number, or email, and we'd love to hear from you. Also, if you do that, if, if you put your name in through the Internet, you will make us so happy in the office <laughs> because it's kind of cool to have somebody's name come to us through the Internet. So thank you. All right, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be looking at the verses uh, 7 through 14. We're really continuing the um, sort of the drift, the direction we've been going for the last several weeks. You know, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, we're, we're talking about how God saves us by grace and the work uh, through the fullness of the Trinity and th- those kinds of things. Um, and then starting at chapter 4, it's talking about, well, what does that mean? When God saves you, the result of that is that we should walk in a manner worthy of our calling, that was chapter 4, and then chapter 5 starts out with be an imitator of God, and that's what we're talking about here. So the rest of, of chapter 5 and uh, actually the rest of the book uh, has to do with the fact that God saved us by grace. Now, what does that mean in our lives? Um, last week, we looked at a few things of what that means to be uh, uh, striving to look like God in our lives, look like Christ as well. Uh, and then this morning, we, we pick up that theme, but the... Um, the organizing idea or concept in this, in this paragraph uh, that we'll be reading in a moment uh, has to do with light and being the light uh, of God in, in the world. Uh, now, I want you to know, I did some research on the theory of light in ancient Greece. Yeah, that was my response, too. It was like nothing. It was deadly, and uh, it, it, it's only sort of kind of helped uh, but if you're more into Maxwell equations, does anybody know Maxwell equations? Somebody here has got to know Maxwell. All right, I've got one. Do I have two? <laughs> no. But uh, anyway, uh, but you get the, you'll get the idea without having to go into uh, Greek uh, physics and things like that um, as we talk about light and being light in the world. So with that, uh, let's look at verse 7. This is Ephesians 5, verse 7. It says, therefore, do not become partners with them, that is, with the sons of disobedience. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's bow together in prayer. And Father, I do ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us in this hour that our minds would be receptive to the truth of your word, our hearts would be open to the movement and the prodding of your spirit to lives of obedience. Father, that you would possess all our strength and all our our soul, Father, that uh, we would be completely and totally sold out to the doing of your will.
as we look at um, what you have in store for us and what you uh, command of us, give us that excitement of knowing that as obedient children, we are bringing to you what is pleasing to you, and that is obedient hearts. And so, Father, let your Holy Spirit be poured out upon us. Work your perfect way in our midst. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I suppose Jesus was well known for making audacious statements in his ministry. Uh, that's sort of what upset the religious leaders as he uh, talked about what the law was really all about, as he talked about who God really is, as he talked about how we really come to know God and the insufficiency of religion, those kinds of things. But at one point in his ministry, in John chapter 8, it records this for us, uh, it says that Jesus stood up and he said, I am the light of the world. Now, that was an audacious statement. The, the, the religious leaders listening to that, the, the, um, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they listened to that, and their immediate response would have been something like, Jesus, that's offensive. That's offensive on, on at least two levels, if not more, but at least two levels that's offensive. First of all, you're saying, I am. And what we know from the Old Testament, Jesus, is that I am is the name of God. And so when you stand up like that and you say, I am, you're making an assertion that, that we really don't think you need to be making. So we're offended by that just to start with. But secondly, you're saying, you're the light of the world? Jesus said, I am the light of the world? How could that possibly be, Jesus? See, the Pharisees had an answer for that. They would, say, they would have told them, they said, no, Jesus, the light of the world is the Jewish people. Doesn't the Bible say that all the people will gather unto our light? They're going to come to who we are. They're going to appreciate us. They're going to recognize that we were right all along and they were wrong. The Jewish people are the light of the world, Jesus. You can't be the light. The law is the light, Jesus. After all, doesn't the psalm say that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path? It's the scriptures that are the light, Jesus. So Jesus, when you're saying you're the light of the world, you're making a claim about divinity. You're making a claim that, that you really ought not to make in our religious system. And had they actually said that to Jesus, I think he would have looked at him and said, Guys, I am the light of the world. If you want to know what's going on, if you want to see what's really happening, if you want to have insight into who you are, you've got to come to me because I shine the light of God's sovereign glory on the world. He said, I am the world. A lot of people didn't get that. A lot of people didn't want to get that. You know who got it? You know who understood that Jesus is the light of the world? People who could not see. The blind knew he was the light of the world. You remember the time he was walking into Jericho, and as he walked along, he had an entourage around him, you know, people gathering, asking questions, uh, discussing things, making the kind of noise a moving crowd like that would make. And, and off to one side, there was a man by the name of Bartimaeus, and he was blind. And his life had been reduced to sitting on the curbside, waiting for people to give him alms so he could buy something to eat that day. 
I, I suspect that he had regular customers, people who passed by every day and always made sure they had a small something to give to Bartimaeus and he relied upon that. Some days were good, some days were bad, but that was his life. It was a life spent begging by the side of the road because he was blind. One day he hears something going on. I suspect he heard it before anybody else around him heard it. But as he heard that, he said, what's happening? What's going on? And the people looked and they came back and said, Bartimaeus, what's happening is that Jesus is passing by. And blind Bartimaeus knew that Jesus was the light of the world. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody in the crowd said, Bart, you can't do that. You're you're interrupting. We were right in the middle of a really great story, and it was a great illustration. He was telling a parable, Bart, and we almost understood this one. Why are you breaking in like this? And and, and so, Bart, you got to be quiet. Just tone it down a little bit. And Bart, being the sensitive soul that he was, cried out all the louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the, the greatness of our Lord is this. He stopped. He stopped what he was doing. He stopped all the religious discussion and all the theological haranguing. He forgot all the curiosity uh, seeking. Jesus stopped when a blind man called out to the light of the world. And he said, Bart, you, you come over here. And Bart was brought to him. And Jesus said, now, what is it that you want? Beloved, there's a whole sermon in that this morning. No. Face to face with Jesus, what would you say? What is it that you want? But Bartimaeus spoke out of the, the depth of his soul. He, he spoke out of his, his great need. And blind Bartimaeus said to the light of the world, I want to see again. That's absurd. It's an audacious thing for Bart to ask for. I want to see again? If he had gone to one of the great philosophers, to Plato, to Aristotle, to Socrates, and had said, I want to see again, they would have talked about their philosophy of light and their philosophy of sight, and they would have talked about their philosophy of what was good and what was bad, but they would have to say, in the end, we cannot give you light. He could have gone to Alexander the Great, the great general who conquered the world, and he could have said, General Alexander, I want to see again. And Alexander would have to have said, I have power and I have authority. I've conquered the known world in our region, but I cannot give you sight. I can give you military power, but I cannot give you sight. Had Bartimaeus gone to one of the great religious leaders, if he'd gone to one of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, Had it been possible and he had gone to Buddha? Had he gone to Muhammad? Had he gone to any other person and said, I want to see again? They would have to have looked at him and said, I feel for you, I'm sorry for you, but I cannot give you light. Bartimaeus said to Jesus, the light of the world, I want to see again. Jesus looked at him and he said, see That's all he said. said, See. You you want to see? See. Because the light of the world can give light to blind eyes. Bartimaeus knew that, and he experienced it when Jesus opened his eyes. The people who know that Jesus is the light of the world are people who cannot see and are desperate for the light. Because out of his kindness and his grace and his mercy, Jesus, the light of the world, gives light to blind eyes. 
So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, we, you know, we're just, we're rejoicing right now. We are glorifying the Father through the Son right now because Jesus, the light, has come into the world. And Jesus said also that as the light, you had to respond to that. You remember in, in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus came and said, you know, what do I have to do to get into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, well, it's not too, too much to understand. You just need to be born again, Nicodemus. And you need to believe in the Son because as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so too must the Son of Man be lifted up so that all would gaze upon him and come to believe in him. And what i got to tell you, Nicodemus, is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. And it's right after that that Jesus says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And men have loved darkness rather than the light. Jesus is the light of the world. Which is why it's kind of, I don't know, unsettling when on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Remember that? It's there in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you're the light of the world. You know, after everything that he said about righteousness and blessedness and and what the, that God requires of us from within. He said, now you're the light of the world, and so let your light shine in front of the world that everybody will see that light, and then they'll give glory. Where? To the Father. They'll see your good works, but they'll be pointed to the Father. You're the light of the world. It's not because we're on par with Jesus, because the light of Jesus shines in us and through us. Now that's what Paul is getting at here in Ephesians chapter uh, five in verse seven, he, he talks. He says, "Don't don't participate with the sons of disobedience." And then verse eight, he says, "At one time you were darkness, not just in darkness. You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. God in His grace has translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son." That's Colossians chapter one. And so he says, "Walk as children of light." And here's how that results in verse nine: For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, literally in goodness and in righteousness and in truth. That's where you find the fruit of living out as the light. It's shameful to speak of the things that folks do in the darkness, but is exposed when it comes to the light. Look at verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light. So Paul is just saying, yeah, we, we need to live as the light. Jesus is the light. He's already said, imitate God. No. Let your life, your walk be worthy of your calling in Christ. And so we are to live as light in the world. Now here's where this comes home to me. I look at the light that he's talking about. It's the light of Jesus. And I look at the dim little flicker of an almost gone out glow of a candle. I realize how short the light of in my life comes from the light of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. You don't realize that. You know, a lot of times we think we're doing pretty good. Admit it. You feel like, well, I'm doing pretty good in this Christian thing. I'm living pretty well. I'm, I'm doing the right stuff mostly. And um, I'm being kind and forgiving mostly. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm doing pretty well in, in living out this Christian thing for the most part. But then you come into the presence of the light of Christ and you feel and you realize how far away you really are. You know, when I was in the 11th grade, 
Um, first, when I was in the 11th grade, there was no 12th grade because people didn't know enough to teach beyond the 11th grade, you know, by then. And I, I, and I want to say thank you for laughing. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but when I was in the 11th grade, we, we lived in uh, Iceland. Dad was the, uh, the chaplain of the uh, base chapel, and it was, a, it was a smaller group of people, a smaller congregation, but uh, the year we were there, um, it was decided that for our Christmas cantata, for our Christmas presentation, we were going to present a piece of music called Amal and the Night Visitors. Yeah, it was on all the top 100 charts. It was even a crossover. For, but Amal and the Night Visitors is actually the first opera ever written for television by Giancarlo Minotti. And so um, we were going to perform Amal and the Night Visitors. And, and somebody asked, how did, how did that work? And I, it worked out pretty good. Uh, the, the, we happened to have the voices that could carry it and and uh, we faked the scenery, and, and, and it worked out well. But we didn't have an orchestra. We were way too small for an orchestra. So uh, what, what they decided was, well, we'll use a piano score. There was a transcription of the orchestra into a two-piano score. Piano one, piano two, all right? And I was piano two. <laughs> I was the, the second piano, which is just one notch above the second banana. But I was, I was above the... And I, I, was, I was the second piano. And uh, the other person who was playing the piano was a lady who had been a professional pianist. She had actually made her living playing the piano in professional settings. We'll just put it that way. So uh, she knew what she was doing, but I, you know, I was this kid, 11th grade, but I could play piano too. Now, in, in something like this, what happens is piano too is the sort of the background filler stuff. So I'm going boom, chink, boom, chink, boom, chink, boom, chink. And on a really difficult piece, boom, chink, chink, boom, chink, chink, boom, chink, chink. <laughs> so, but, but I'm doing that. And meanwhile, piano one is going, you know, just play it all over the keyboard. Oh, okay, great. Well, during one of the rehearsals, I still remember this. During one of the rehearsals, uh, nothing's much going on. And I have the music in front of me. It has piano one, piano two, cause, so we can keep together. We see each other's score. And uh, I decide, you know, I, I think I'm just going to play a little bit of piano one. Just let these people know. And so I launched into piano one. I went... And the lady who, who was the first pianist, she comes over to me. And she says, that was really awful. It has traumatized me for life. I will never forget this. I have forgiven that woman. Mostly, for the most part, I, you know, I, I've forgiven it, you know. But, you know, I thought I was doing pretty good until somebody who really knew what they were doing came along. And a lot of times we feel like we're doing really well in the Christian life, really well in, in, in living uh, th this life as, as, as the light in, in the world until we see who Jesus is and we actually see what the light actually is. It's Jesus Christ. And it's so easy to become discouraged on that. But that's why I think Paul finishes off in verse 14 with this. This is the last half of verse 14, chapter 5. Therefore, it says, and he's either quoting from Isaiah chapter 60 or he's quoting a hymn that, that they would sing together. He says, it says this, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Christ will shine on you.
it turns out that it's grace from start to finish and everywhere in between. It is grace when we come to the cross and we confess our sins and, and the guilt and the stain and the burden of our sins is removed and the wrath of God is displaced and, and we are brought into God's kingdom and we are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the grace of God. But it's also the grace of God when the scripture says, live as light in the world. You are the light of the world. It's the grace of God that does that. It's not our doing. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It's the work of the Holy Spirit around us. It's God's doing entirely. That's why he gets all the praise and the glory. That's why when we let our light shine before men, they see our good works, but who, to whom do they give the glory? They give the glory to God the Father, not us. It's grace from start to finish. And so live as light in the world. Live as children of light, but understand that God's grace is what will empower you and guide you and lead you in all these things. And as we come to the Lord's table in just a few minutes, we come to a table where we remember the cross. We remember the, the, the grace and the mercy that saved us. But also we come often to this table again and again to remember that it's grace. It's grace at the beginning, it's grace at the end, and it's grace all the way through so that the light of the world, Jesus, can be seen in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we just ask that you would make us bold in obedience, bold in service, bold in, in yielding ourselves to the doing of your will. Father, that your Holy Spirit would awaken within us just a lively desire to let the light of Christ be seen in us and to shine through us. Father, let your Holy Spirit work in our midst as we come to your table that we would remember your grace.